Good morning, Scarlet City Church. Thank you so much for joining us for our digital worship gathering. I'm excited to be here with you. If you are uh, someone who's been around for a long time, or maybe this is your first time tuning in, either way, we are very glad that you are here. I have an announcement this morning that I am very excited to share with you. Um, we, uh, this fall, as, as you probably know, Columbus City Schools are moving to um, doing all of their schooling virtually. Um, and this means a lot of different things for a lot of different people depending on their circumstances. But Scarlet City Church has an opportunity to come alongside students and their families this fall. And we are very, very excited about it. Um, we are going to be a learning extension center, which essentially means we will be welcoming a small number of students into our building a couple days a week uh, to give them a safe and supervised place to work on their schoolwork. Not all families have um, the resources or uh, just the circumstances to provide a distraction-free, safe environment for their students to continue to learn. And we as Scarlet City Church can come alongside these families and help provide that. So uh, if you have, if we have your email address, you should have received an email this week about this um, with a short little survey uh, just asking if this is something that you would want to consider helping out with at Scarlet City Church. Um, and if so, what what your availability would be like. So if you have not had a chance to look at that and fill that survey out, I want to invite you to do that. Um, it is not something that you are committing to. We're still working out a lot of details. And so uh, we'll have some more solid uh, asks of our church in the coming weeks. But but for now, we did want to make you aware of the opportunity and get your feedback just on uh, what our church's capacity might be in this. So uh, if you are able, please fill that out. We're asking that all surveys be completed by uh, Monday night, so tomorrow night, um, so that we can start to move forward and making some decisions. So um, you'll find out more information in the coming weeks. But for now, uh, we ask that you would be willing to pray and that you'd be willing to fill out that survey. Well, friends, hear this call to worship this morning from Psalm 133. Look how good and pleasant it is when brothers truly live in unity. I know right now in our world there is a lot of things to uh, not be unified over, and we feel that in a lot of ways. But this morning our invitation is to come before God to worship him with one unified voice, and sing together.
Good morning, Scarlet City. I'm Christine Mallory, and we are going to focus our prayer this morning on what we are calling Groups Without a Home. These are organizations, uh, ministries that were meeting in our church building, but have been displaced because of the pandemic. So these are groups like AA, uh, Whetstone Young Life, Young Lives, the Nepali Congregation, um, Emotions Anon, and Columbus Twin Moms Club. Would you just bow your head with me and pray along? Father God, we, we lift up these, these organizations to you. We know, Father, that you are still sovereign and that your plan is perfect. Your heart is for your people. And so, Lord, we lift up these groups, these organizations and ministries that have been displaced. We ask that you would give the leaders wisdom. We ask you would give them creativity to reach their people groups, their, their constituents, Lord. We pray that technology would be a blessing to them and that they would use that um, to, to reach those who need their services. Father, would you help them to help others and support those who they have a, a heart's desire to help? We thank you, Father. We know that you hear us. We love you and we praise you this morning. And it's in the precious and powerful name of Jesus that I pray, amen. Now Jay will continue the sermon series on Philippians. Well, greetings. I wanna invite you to open your Bible to Philippians chapter two. We're gonna be in verses one and two again this weekend. While you're turning there, I wanna reiterate something that you you should have received an email about this week, and Janelle mentioned earlier in our worship gathering, and that is that we at Scarlet City are so excited to partner with the Columbus City School District to host a learning extension center here at our facility this fall. This provides an opportunity for students to have a safe space uh, to engage their classes online, and, um, and you, you should have received a survey about this. We really want your input this is a joint church effort. I look forward to serving and being a part, and I wanna invite you to serve alongside with me and others uh, to provide this space for students and, and families. Uh, this is an overflow of what we're all about as a church. We are for the city. We are for the flourishing and well-being of our community. And so when we're presented with a way to serve in a tangible uh, need, especially in this season, we wanna seize it. So will you seize it with us? More information will be coming, but I want to invite you to engage. Well, again, we're in Philippians, and we've been looking at this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to this church in, in Philippi. And last week, we zeroed in on this passage in verses 1 to 2, and I'm going to read it again this morning. The Apostle writes, he says, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort provided by love, any fellowship in the Spirit, any affection or mercy, complete my joy, and here's how. Be of the same mind, having the same love and being united in Spirit, and having one purpose. Paul is writing to a, a new church 
that had been experiencing division. It was a collection of people from different ethnic and religious backgrounds, different economic backgrounds, and so they're coming together as a local church, and Paul's going to write about how the gospel can bring unity. And I can think of nothing more pressing in our world than than to think of how we can have genuine unity. You know, we are all living in the midst of this global disruption related to the pandemic. It has affected our physical health, relationships, economic health, our our well-being personally and, and socially. And this global disruption has brought incredible division. And we feel this division. We feel it in our homes, around our dinner tables. We, we, we see it on our social media feeds, and we experience it in our churches. And so what does the gospel have to say about a genuine unity? Last week we opened up and we said that Paul's vision of unity is not simplistic or superficial. He has a holistic view of unity. As In their passage, it's the same mind. The shared heart, when he says, um, be of the same, having the same love, being united in spirit. That's a harmonious, deep, spirited friendship, a heart. And then expressed by having one purpose, unity of mind, heart, and action. You know, Paul has, it's not just about having the same doctrinal statement and beliefs. For Paul, it's not just this kumbaya, heart, love thing. For Paul, it's not just, hey, Everyone has a role. Let's do a task. No, it's bringing it all together. A common vision centered in the gospel that expressed through a genuine love and care for others and then being united in an effort and a purpose to serve and bless our city and world. He has this holistic view of unity. But then, and this this struck me as I was really studying our passage, the holistic view of unity is not just mind, heart and purpose, but it's also a reflection of our communion with God, of our unity with God. Again, look, he's connected to Christ and the Spirit. He said, if there is any encouragement in Christ, and then he qualifies that by saying any comfort provided by love, and love here is Christ's love, if there's any encouragement in Christ and any comfort in Christ's love, what he's saying is this, God's people need to prioritize the truth of Jesus in all respects. And then he connects it to the Spirit. Any fellowship in the Spirit and any affection or mercy, any participation in the Spirit. Paul is saying, listen, if you have communion with God, unity with God, it will be expressed in communion with others, in unity with others. And that is what love looks like. And so this morning, we're asking this question. How does that connection possible? How does union with God lead to union and unity with others? What does a genuine, gospel-shaped, Christ-centered, loving church look like? And I want to point to our text and and tease out two, two expressions of the kind of love, the kind of participation in the Spirit, the kind of unity of Spirit, what this looks like. Two expressions. That qualify it. First, again, we're asking, what does a Christ-centered, gospel-centered, loving church community look like? We love by encouraging and comforting others in Christ. We love by encouraging 
and comforting others in Christ. In the text in verse 1, he says, If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort provided by Christ's love. This is the noun comfort and encouragement are synonymous. He's saying the same thing. He's saying you need to have encouragement and comfort in Christ. This is what a loving community does. It encourages and comforts in Christ. Now, you need both of those. You need the encouragement and comfort, and you need it to be in Christ. Anytime you lose one of those components, it, it, it dis, it's distorted. right? He's not saying in Christ. Uh, he's not saying fighting in Christ. He's not saying you need to be critiquing in Christ. He's not saying uh, you need to be hammering people in Christ. Now, fortunately, many of our churches, when they think about the truth of being in Christ, the truth of the gospel, that's often how it's expressed. I mean, take the the idea of hammering someone. You know, a hammer is a tool that's used. I I, I know, right? I mean, I'm a rookie at projects. So this is the the hammer-nail relationship is probably my, the the furthest extent I can go when it comes to handy projects. So I... So I'll I'll run with it. I'll use it. A hammer is a tool that uses just blunt force to drive a nail into an object. It's about force. When we look at Paul and when we look at the way Jesus ministers truth, it is not using blunt force to drive someone into a particular object or direction. Paul says, encourage, encourage, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort provided in Christ's love. When when Paul thinks of speaking the gospel, when Paul thinks of ministering to God's people, the terms that come to mind are encouragement and comfort. Is there a place for confronting? Is there a place for even maybe hammering a truth home? Yes, but it shouldn't be the first tool we go to. Jesus, in his ministry, how does he, how does he take the truth of God and connect it to people's lives? He does it by sharing meals with them. He does that by building relationship, learning names. He does it through healing people. And then on occasion, rarely, he says, woe to you. And in every one of those instances, he's most angered by religious leaders who use the truth of God to hammer other people. So first, we must know we are to encourage in Christ. But then also, it's not just encouragement without Christ. Paul says, encourage and comfort in Christ in Christ love. You have to have the in Christ. And this is absolutely essential. It's it's absolutely pivotal for the church. You know, are we to comfort people and encourage them in a general way? Yes. 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 We should be an encouragement. Encouraging people is a way of speaking what's best about them to them to thank people, to say, to, to encourage them, you do this so well. And as a loving community, there's certainly that 
concept, but we also need to be careful because sometimes in our day and age of promoting self-esteem and thinking one's identity just is connected to how one feels about themselves, we can buy into the narrative that if we just say enough sweet nothings to people, they'll be okay. Paul's saying, no, it needs to be encouragement in Christ, comfort in Christ's love. And the comfort's very important. The comfort's so important. Because again, for Paul, life was not just about comfort. It was a particular kind of comfort. It was a comfort that comes from being connected to Christ. That is how he can endure incredible discomfort. It's how he can be imprisoned writing this letter, and he is imprisoned, why? For his ministry in Christ, for encouraging people in Christ. That's why he's in prison. You see, Paul, he so treasures Jesus that he's willing to use his earthly treasures to serve others. Paul so finds his comfort in his eternal rest with Jesus through the gospel that he's able to experience momentary discomfort for the encouragement of other people. Why is this absolutely pivotal? Again, we're thinking about what is a genuine, loving, gospel, Christ-centered church look like? It's not a church that's built around worldly comfort. In fact, sometimes as churches, we can so buy into this narrative that if we, if we give you the right coffee, play the music that fits your personal liking, have sermons that are just merely uplifting and nice and don't challenge you in any way, if we can just make you comfortable, you'll come back. And when we create that way of relating to God and that way of living in the world, we actually do a profound disservice. We will never be about genuine love because we will look at love purely through the means of how it satisfies ourselves. We will never join God in the work of justice in our world because justice requires sacrifice. You see, Paul, again, he's willing to lay aside his comfort because he finds comfort in a greater narrative, a greater source than anything this world can provide. One way in which we are a loving expression of Jesus as a local church is by encouraging and comforting each other in Christ. But also, and the second thing we want to point to is this participation. We love by participating with the Spirit to minister to our church family. Again, drawing back, connecting love and being united in having the same Spirit, being united in Spirit to Paul's ministry, how he does it. He says, if there's any fellowship in the Spirit, any affection or mercy, these are connected. The term here for fellowship is the Greek term koinonia. And koinonia, it can be translated fellowship or or communion and often conveys the experience of participation. This is partnering. This is joining. This is not just genuine. This is not just uh, some kind of uh, superficial friendship. This is the, the, the concept of, of real fellowship, which is a churchy word of saying we're united as a family and we take shared 
ownership in the work together. Partnering with the Spirit to minister to our church family. The same term for koinonia is used on a number of occasions. In Acts 2, the term is used, it says, they devoted themselves, this is the early church, the first church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, unity of mind, and to the fellowship, to the koinonia, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Koinonia there was, the idea was, was a, a sharing, a serving, a participating together. And it's expressed through, he says, mercy. Any affection or mercy, this koinonia, this fellowship, this communion and participation is expressed through mercy, through tangible acts of service and care for others. So this is so important because it, it requires that we ask, what is a church? Essentially, that's what we're getting at today. What is a church? A church encourages and comforts in Christ, and a church participates with the Spirit to minister to one another. Now, we need to ask, what are some of the modes of church that we have today? When you think of church, what comes to mind? For some, the church is, is a building. It's a structure at a particular place, and it hosts certain services. And this is the second uh, concept of church. Some see church as programs. This right here that you're experiencing online or, or those who gather on our front line for our church service. You know, that is a church program, an, import, an important one, but it is not the church. Others, when they think of a building or programs, they, they might think of the church as, as the leadership. It's the professionals who administer the spiritual goodies to consumers. And that is not a church. A church is the koinonia, the ecclesia, the gathering of God's people, taking collective ownership, collectively participating in the Spirit's work to minister to one another. And this is so profound. You know, there, there might be a part of you when I say the church is not a building, the church is not a program, the church is not the staff. You know, it's, there's a part of us that wants to say amen to that. Yes, the church is not a building. There's not, in our day and age, many churches doing big building campaigns. You know, church is a building. Most would say, yeah, you know, it's not a building. It's also not in vogue to say the church is all about the programs or about the professionals. You know, most of us would say, yes, yes, amen to that. But, but there's a reason. There's a reason that we continue to perpetuate this idea that church is a building, church are programs, church are the professionals. And here's why. When the church is a building, it's a thing that can be cared for and managed. It can be cleaned, it can be made to look nice, it can be pretty and beautiful. And it's all well and good, something to be managed. Does it require work? Yes. Does it require money? Yes. But work and money that can be done and we can move on. When the church is programs, it becomes not just a, a facility to manage, but it becomes events to manage. And so we can put our resources into hosting, a worship gathering and having a liturgy. We can have classes and teachings 
and we can view success or failure based on how much people enjoy them and like them and whether they return. If a church is the hired professionals, what this does is it makes the hired professionals feel really good about themselves. People like me. I can feel really good and useful and purposeful and think, you know, what, what would they do without me? If they didn't have me, the pastor, to teach them the word of God, people would be wandering, lost, and nowhere to go. And it can absolve you from any ownership. Because your response, your responsibility is to show up and listen and do a few nice things and feel good about it, and round and round we go. You know, there's a reason that we've turned church into a facility, programs, and the professionals. But friends, that when we function that way, we are not reflecting the churches that Paul is planting. And we're missing out on the beautiful work of what the Spirit wants to do. You know, a facility is not a bad thing. Programs are important, and having church leaders are critical. But all of them, the building, the programs, the church leaders, my role, all of it, all of it is meant to create a community and space and culture where we collectively participate in the Spirit's work together. When I... When I become the professional and relate to God in such a way that makes you feel not equipped, not smart enough, after all, I went to seminary, I've studied Greek, I've translated this from Greek, so if you think, wow, I guess Jay is real impressive and I'm just a normal person. When we, have, when we put all our work into these programs and try to make them look perfect and create this atmosphere where you just get your preferences met or a building when all our effort just goes into those things, we miss the heart of God because what happens? We don't create a genuine, loving, Christ-centered gospel community. We create a, an Americanized way of relating to God and each other. We basically, what we end up doing is we use each other. Paul, his vision for the church, and, and millions of our brothers and sisters ever since have expressed this, and it happens around the world today, and it can happen right here. We can remove ourselves from the narrative that says churches of building, church or programs, it's professionals. We can reject that. We can say, we'll use all of those, but at the end of the day, what is the church? the koinonia, the community of God's people participating with the Spirit to minister to one another. And so as I close, I just want to ask you to reflect on that. I want you to feel challenged. If you're feeling a sense of challenge here, that's my hope. Again, because my goal is not to just give you comfort. It's to comfort you in Christ, to encourage you in Christ. And there's no safer place there's no more encouraging place. There's no more life-giving place than living at the center of God's will in your life. And at the center of that will is participating in the Spirit's work of loving, being merciful and generous and gracious to others. And so I want you to ask, are you taking ownership? Are you participating 
Or are you just hoping others will participate in your behalf? Just a few things. This can look like a number of different ways. One, are you involved in spiritual community? Are you in a city group? If you're not, we would love to get you in a group. You need to be in a group, especially now. Studies have shown that only a third of people after the pandemic are still connected to their church community. Many have left, and studies have shown that those who have left their church community are experiencing a greater degree of isolation and despair. It's hard. Zoom calls, the limitations are, but, but work and fight to be involved in your community. Are you taking ownership to reach out to others, text, serve? Uh, physical distancing is not the same as uh, relational distancing. Give a friend a call, reach out to someone, find someone new, ask them how they are. And lastly, are you serving? Or are you just hoping others will serve on your behalf? May we at Scarlet City, may we receive the call, the challenge of, of Paul to encourage and comfort each other in Christ and to participate in the Spirit's work for the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this church body, for the ways in which we have expressed this over the past several years and even months. I'm so thankful. Just people come to mind who have been such an encouragement to me. I think of my own city group and, and what a blessing it is to just be a part. The shared ownership that we have, thank you for that. And, and for the other groups that are functioning that way, I thank you for the glimmers of that. But God, we, we have work to do. Convict us by your Spirit. Empower us to be the church, to be the koinonia, to be the fellowship of the Spirit in a time and place uh, that we could experience love and extend love to others. It's in your Son's name and by the power of the Spirit we pray. Amen. I say.
pass through the shadows with redemption's light. The fallen will rise, the weak will be strong as death turns to the good news of the gospel means we are accepted in Christ and we have received life eternal through his son, Jesus. And because we are united with him, we can have unity and harmony with one another. Romans 5.5 tells us that God has poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. The one who died for us calls us to die to self and instead pour out from our hearts the love of God to one another. As the body of Christ, we are called together in spiritual unity and harmony to the praise and glory of our good and gracious Father in heaven. In a world that so desperately needs compassion and love and justice and grace, may our lives produce such beautiful fruit by the power of the Holy Spirit that others would see in us the face of Christ. Thank you, Christine. Receive this benediction as we wrap up our time from 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11 from the New English Translation. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, set things right, be encouraged, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God and love and peace will be with you. God bless you. Have a great rest of your Sunday and weekend.